Doug Simmons. It's Chris Ryan calling. How you doing? I am fine, sir, and yourself. And amazingly enough, you know, here it is. It's another Tell the Damn Story episode. We That's just keep, right. It's we just time keep to coming. tell the damn keep... story, and yeah. we have an <laughs> interesting, been, interesting stuff going on this week with Tell the Damn Story. Well, that's true, too. But before you do that, how are you? Uh, I'm actually uh, amazing. Ah, I like that. Um, in August, I hurt my, uh, I thought I had, well, I had ripped my right calf muscle, and uh, when I... When I did that, it was like a bolt of lightning through my body. And uh, since then, kind. I haven't been able to completely heal. Mm-hmm. So I finally went some for some physical therapy. Long story short, one of the therapists came up to me and said, Listen, I don't think you have a calf injury. I think you have a back injury. Can I work on you? So uh, I said, Sure. And... Uh, I feel 20 years younger. Oh, snap. <laughs> yeah. Oh, snap. Um, she, I mean, there's still a little, there's a little tenderness here and there. It's still a work in progress. But my mobility is about 40% better, maybe 50% better. Um, I'm not getting up out of chairs like an old man. <laughs> Climbing up and down stairs is fine. Um, sleeping through the night, it's, it's Yeah. Wow, and and the calf is not getting re-injured, so that's fascinating. So maybe you know when we when we start doing commercials on these shows, we'll have that's to advertise right. for that person. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I am ready to, to advertise for Madison Avenue or Madison Spine and uh, Physical Therapy. There you go. Just, once they cut the check, we're <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> So you were saying, brother, that there's some... Well, how are you before we... Oh, well, you know, actually, I'm I'm even better now because I got some sleep. I have not Ah, sleep is an important thing. Yeah, I'll tell you why I haven't been sleeping a lot later in the show, but, yeah, it's been a lot going on, a lot of positive stuff, but just a lot coming at me. That's what we call foreshadowing here on Yes, that's right, that's right, there you go. So, we both uh, came across uh, this item that we wanted to start with today um and i've it kind of rolls into the entire theme of the show and uh dion stallworth is on facebook and a few other social media uh she's got a petition to get tony isabella proper credit and um uh recognition for creating Black Lightning, the comic book character that has since become, in the last two years, a very popular TV show. Mm-hmm. And it is perfect for us to talk about because you did an exceptional interview with a very forthcoming Tony Isabella uh, two episodes ago mm-hmm. in episode 75. We are now... Was this episode seventy-seven? I think. Yeah. No, this is going to be seventy-eight, bro. Seventy-eight. So <laughs> it might have been. It might have been three, three ago. Time yep. flies when you're having fun, bro. Absolutely. So we wanted to recognize uh, Dion and her effort to um, get Tony Isabella that kind of recognition. You can find Dion Stallworth on Facebook. Uh, her petition is. Uh, available to sign and we encourage you to do so and it gives us and thank you 
for uh, that effort, uh, Dion. But it gives us a springboard of what we want to talk about, which is credit where it's due, right? Yeah. And, and you made it really clear that Tony deserves credit for Black Lightning. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah. No, Tony deserves absolute credit. And actually, just to even um, bring it more into focus for folks why this particular subject is resonating with, with Chris and I, is not only have we, you know, we, I did have that wonderful time interviewing Tony, but Chris and I interviewed Don McGregor a few episodes prior to that. That's why we both needed all that sleep. <laughs> and what, what came out of it for, for both Chris and I was this recurring tale of all of the masterful work, you know, story-wise and art-wise, but in particular creating characters and creating these remarkable stories that occurred back in the days when we weren't talking major money. These were artists and writers working together to create these cool characters. And a lot of people grew up reading these things, you know, enjoying the comic books. Now the comic books suddenly, over a period of time, have become hot, hot properties, IPs. And they're making crazy money for the companies. And a lot of these people who created the characters to begin with, no one knows about them. You know, no one, no one, not only does no one know about them, but they're also not benefiting from their work. And there are or, contractual or, or, reasons for that, but there's also, you know, just the fact that, what? Go ahead, what would you start to say? If, to cover all our bases, they may be getting some remuneration, but considering the amount of income and profit that those IPs are creating now, it doesn't seem justifiable what little they're getting or what they are getting. And it's sad that over the last, oh God, really the, the, the length of time that comics, superhero comics in particular, have been in existence, these battles have been fought. That's almost, that's 80 years. Yeah, we're know? talking about Batman and Superman starting out in the late 30s, 1930s. And and speaking of both of them, mm -hmm. both were the, 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 the creators of both those cornerstone fundamental characters, the ones that really launched comic books back in 1928, uh... 30, right? 38, 1938. Yeah. I mean, 1938. Um, eight, um, I'm aging them more than they already <laughs> yeah, are. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's, there's Simon and, uh, uh, excuse me, Sh uh, Schuster and Siegel created uh, Superman uh, while they were high school students in Cleveland, and they got paid, I think it was 150 bucks, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then they got a pittance while they were drawing the comic and, and writing the comic and then eventually they were out and the lawsuits ensued and these people these two creators of the character that launched Superhero they spent most of their life broke I will, one of I, them died blind and destitute I will say that one of the things that um, and you said it earlier to cover our bases so let me just lay this down there is a thing within most creative industries, uh, and you're, you're, you have a more of an option now than ever before to say no to, but certainly back in the day, when who knew what a comic book was really going to become, and who knew a, a number of things, there's a thing called work for hire. 
which basically means if you agree to this to work at a company whatever you create for them they own right you you take your check they take everything else and that was in existence into the 60s mid to late 60s and a lot of these people that we're going to talk about you know again uh joe simon jerry uh, siegel um uh, the, the person who's most known for creating batman bob kane but also bill finger uh jerry i think it's a jerry robinson uh, a lot of these people were doing work for hire material at that time. And, yeah, the companies could say X about such and such. But there came a point when the work for hire scenario pretty much faded out. And we'll but, talk about that, too. So, again, I'm just I just wanted to say... If I make a point about the work for hire... Yeah, go ahead. When uh, Schuster and Siegel and Bob Kane and Bill Finger... And Jerry Robinson, who, if I remember, created Robin and the Joker, among others. When they were doing this, work for hire was the only game in town. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any creator-owned. That was the only way they could do it. Well, I think, I think, I just, and again, please, the listeners, you can chime in. Some of you are, like, archivists on this. I think the one person that we might think was Will Eisner. Yeah, but he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't working for the bigger companies. Yeah, but but I just wanted to put that out there because Will Eisner wound up owning the spirit up up until yeah. But my point is, if we take those five, right? Mm Mm-hmm. There was no other choice, and the character, the IPs, those five gentlemen created. It's I. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to say their creations created billions of dollars of income oh yeah over the years oh absolutely when that contract was hired the income generating possibilities didn't exist it is just to rethink and to do the right thing by people who got you there you know, DC is owned by Warners, I understand, and yeah. they are part of a, a huge company. But these IPs have been healthy income generators for 80 years. If we did the math on how much those people were paid, you know, versus how much was generated, it's appalling. And Neil Adams saw this in the 70s and organized a PR uh, campaign to shame D.C. into giving Schuster and Siegel some more money and creative credit. I, I don't know if they're getting proper remuneration for the movie and TV franchises and all that sort of stuff. Well, you but know, the, they should. They should. The remark is often it's often printed that some sort of settlement, you know, usually undisclosed, was was made with certain people, and we have to hope that it takes care of you know the families because most of these people were, were dead after these things yeah. were were arranged. So well, the, the families, the the the, the descendants, uh, are benefiting from it. But I think what's unfortunate. I, I don't know if all of them are. Well, no, but I'm going to say what I think is unfortunate is the creators who are still alive, and not necessarily talking about the ones all the way back from the 1930s, present-day creators who are still alive, who the properties are generating crazy money, outrageous well, like, money, like buy, buy a whole country-type money. 
and they're struggling with hospital bills and things because you know they're older or they have ailments or whatever and they can't afford to cover their medical expenses i think that's that's also a tragedy i think it's, for me it's a greater one um to see to have that all that wealth swirling around in the universe that you help generate and you can't get near it just enough to help take care of you to help your 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 days whatever they are remain comfortable you know well, are we gonna are we gonna talk about Bill Mantlow? He's a perfect example. Well, yeah, um, Bill is, and again, you know, I don't know how many people know some of these names because you know, people who 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 listen to podcasts and shows like that, some of them are like again really into comics and they know so much about it. And then there are others who are new to the field. Uh, but Bill Mantlow, <clears throat> pardon me, Chris, for some reason I seem to be having trouble clearing my throat here. Bill Mantlow worked, I think it was for a predominantly uh, Marvel in the 70s. And he, 70s and 80s. Right. He, and uh, he worked like, on The Champions, The Micronauts, <laughs> Rom, Space Knight, The Spectacular Spider-Man, The Incredible, Incredible Hulk, Hulk yeah. Alpha Flight, and Iron Man, among others. He also uh, created Rocket Raccoon, who is making a big splash on the big screen these days. As part of Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and then... So here he's doing all this work. And, and actually the 70s, like you were saying, Neil Adams, when Neil launched that campaign, when Frank Miller and some of the other who were really hot names at that time began to wrestle or fight for credit and remuneration for some of the older uh, comic book creators, uh, was right around the 70s. So right around that time, things were starting to change. So by the time 1992 came around, you would have expected things to be better for some yeah. of the creators. And that's when Bill had, um, if I remember right, it was a car accident. Unsolved hit and run. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And and there he is. So now he's he's injured. It's not like just a broken leg. There's nice. brain damage. His head trauma. Is all this. Right. And a, a lot of insurance problems. You know, and when they couldn't find the person who did it to him, so it all falls on the victim. Yep. You know, there's no insurance coming from anywhere else. And this is this is a tragic thing. So here's a man who, who gave all that, all of that creativity to a company and he's struggling to pay hospital bills and and you would hope they would take uh, a little bit of the guardians of the galaxy money right there have been two very successful films and rocket showed up in, in an infinity war which made more money than some small nations mm -hmm. and you would think they would say you know what let's let's quietly cover this guy and i would hope that they they would have done that but the information that was available to us is that Bill uh, was suffering from the bill, the, the extreme uh, head trauma, and his family is buried in uh, medical bills. You know, and they've done fundraisers and fundraisers. It would, it would be nice to see some of that Hollywood money go and help that guy out. I would, you know, again, we're we're sitting here and we're we're seeing all this, and and some of this, you know, we don't know all these facts. You know, sometimes things happen behind closed doors. And, and, you know, like I said, undisclosed settlement, blah, 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 blah. But sometimes someone does the right thing and it just doesn't hit the airwaves because sometimes the airwaves are not about good stuff. It's about, you know, controversial stuff. And well, I, th yeah, I think that's, I just wanted to, to, to bring that up, that we don't well, know. We do have the <clears throat> comments section below. Anybody who knows of such miraculous generosity, we are, we are willing to stand corrected and record an apology next episode and also <laughs> yeah but also also to herald that because 
I personally prefer, you know, talking about the great stuff that's going on out there, the good stuff that's happening, the good that people do, uh, a yeah. lot more than the garbage that people do. Cause well, yeah. and, and let's really talk for a minute about all these guys, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Tony Isabella, Don McGregor, Bill Finger, Jerry Robinson, Joe Simon, Joe, yeah. jo Joe Simon, Jack Kirby, uh, Steve Gerber, Dave uh, Feidrich, um, Bill Matlow, and unfortunately, so you know, there's a number more. And why are we saying that credit where it's due? Why are we pointing this out? Because there is no Marvel Cinematic Universe. There are no DC films. There is not a burgeoning uh, um, re re uh, rebirth of the comic book market without these core intellectual properties being reinterpreted and reinterpreted. Mm -hmm. Our you mythology. Know, we grew up, you, yeah, it is American mythology, which I love, but uh, we grew up feeding our imaginations with all these characters. We owe everything creative about us in part to their imaginations, right? Mm -hmm. You pass it on, you, 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 you learn to think in a certain way, and then you put your stamp on it and move forward. And so do all the artists who are making a living and all the writers and publishers who are making a living and filmmakers and toy salespeople. They're all making a living based on what these guys did way back when. A single you know? idea. And I, <laughs> I owe us a, a, a spiritual debt to these guys. When I was young... You know, every spring the world tried to kill me. You know, oh, I was allergic to pollen. And, <laughs> and at a certain point, the only thing I'd be able to have enough energy for is to turn a comic book page, you know. And back then, we could buy 25 comic books for $5. You know, they were 20 cents each. And I would sit there and read. It was a feast of imagination. Mm-hmm. And I learned morals in there, and I learned vocabulary in there. And one of the things that I, I think is such is is a secondary tragedy for credit where it's due is that the affordability and accessibility of these amazingly uh, imaginative creators they they gave a uh, a start to a generation, or maybe more than one generation at this point, of creators. And another sad thing is that this generation here doesn't have that access. Now, I understand that the access is different. You don't go to a candy store and pick up a comic book anymore. <laughs> what I mean is that, yes, the generation that I'm teaching in high school and you know, the middle schoolers and the 20-somethings, oh, they're all digital. They're all on their smartphones or iPads. However, you know and I know from publishing, both in print and digital, the cost of printing in print and paper far exceeds the digital. We can afford to set a price for the print and then a much lower price for digital. 
This is true, correct? Correct. And yet I see on the digital comic, I guess you'd call them digital bookstores, well, whatever. Platforms, whatever, yeah. Platforms? Yeah. They're not giving the kids a break. They're not making it more affordable. If it's a $4 or $5 book in print, they're asking 4 or $5 for it digitally. To me, that's just greed. And it's short-sighted because the people who are shelling out that money are aging out. They're now in their late 30s, their 40s, their 50s. Some of them are in their 60s. And what's coming behind them? Nothing, because those kids went to anime. You could go to Barnes & Noble, you could go to some uh, platform and get four or 500 pages for the same price you would pay for a 20 or 30 page book from Marvel or DC. You know, you, you brought in the you brought in that and you know the the whole digital argument thing is is a is a big one and that's possibly even another episode. But I was at a Comic-Con yesterday. Well, I was actually at a at a family fun festival yesterday and uh comics I was with um, um a couple of friends of mine uh, uh Emilio Velez Mitchell uh I'm sorry <laughs> Emilio Velez Jr. Uh, who does his, he's an independent comic book uh, producer, creator and producer, and also Michael Gracia. And we were there, and, you know, this plethora of, of parents going by with children of, I'd say, anywhere from toddlers up to maybe about 15. And there was a lot of things going on there, some of them not comic book related. It was a family festival, so there had all kinds of family-related things there. But for, the, for us and for a couple of others that had this kind of material, it was interesting to watch the kids and the parents reacting to seeing comic books. And what I noticed was, you know, I obviously not all parents are into it anyway, so that's one thing. So you had parents who would see the comics and you could you could just see on their faces, I don't understand what that is. That has no 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 relationship to real life. It's not an essential, it's not even amusing. And they would just move right on by. But you've got a bunch of kids with you. But you don't see any any reason to take one half step over so the kids could look at this. And the kids are starting to look, and the parents are pulling them along. So that's one. Then you have the children who are curious to some degree, but they don't see the recognizable images that whatever they've been exposed to. So again, if we're, we're talking about current situations, more and more and more children are exposed to television and film than to a comic book. So they right. know about Batman, Superman, uh, you know, maybe Ga uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, certainly the Avengers, uh, Wonder Woman. You know, these are all things that have splashed across multiple screens and is in their psyche. But I'm curious to see how the Doom Patrol and some of these others are going to do because they, they're coming completely out of the fog. And it's not recognizable images that have been on linen and so forth and so on, and lunch boxes and all that. So I think what we're looking at, too, is we're looking at, you know, when we talk about credit where credit is due we have people who created these remarkable properties that have lasted for six and seven decades that have now because of multiple platforms and the need for content all this is going out there into the world and you're right the those of us who know about the comic book that launched x well we are you know we're older we're we're, we're moving in, in, in towards that that silent corner so I think part of it, 
Yeah, yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm trying not to use the the really depressing words. So, but what we're looking at here is the comic books, like you were talking about, spending the summer by yourself or in your homes, you know, barely having the energy. Comic books, laying down with a comic book, hiding under the covers with a blanket and a, uh, and, a, and a flashlight and a comic, uh, reading them, you know, just grabbing one and being able to read it when the power goes out, okay? Uh, as not only did I experience that, you know, several times here in New York over the years, but also last year when there were all these terrible uh, uh, natural disasters and whole areas were wiped out of, of energy, power, water. And we shipped comics because as long as you got daylight or a flashlight, you can read. You can't use any of those other devices, the tablet, the cell phone, the TV. It, I'm sorry, it doesn't work without electricity. But you could sit and read something, whether it's a comic book or a book, you could sit and read. And so I think some of that not only was comforting, you know, if you're sick in bed and you're, you're curled up there with, you know, whatever, or something to drink and, and your favorite comic book. Something about that was nurturing and comforting. But also, it, as you said before, fires the imagination. And you would want it to reach more children, more young people, so that it did fire the imagination and validate their imagination. Because well, it took us to numerous places in our own heads. I know that. Well, that, that takes me to a specific place. And that is credit where it's due uh, to you, because next month will be the 13th uh, Kids Comic Con, and that's an event that you created for exactly that experience for kids, where they could go and everything was aimed towards them. You know, it was kid-friendly material, it was comic book artists and creators who wanted to talk to them and uh, make time for them, events, uh, classes on creating so they can create and use their own imagination. And that came out of you and came out of your experience growing up reading a comic book when the lights went out or <laughs> whatever. So uh, credit is due to you as well, man. Well, well thank you. And, and let me let me loop that naturally organically because growing up i was fortunate enough to meet some of these people and people like them when i was a kid when i was a child i was luckily enough luckily enough i knew artists i you know i knew artists in my life who were not working in comics but eventually i i was able to by the time i was 15 13 uh, 14 and 15 i was meeting them in different situations i was studying to be an illustrator in high school so that gave me access to people who had done advertising art or some comic book arts for some of the earlier books um, when, as, a, as a young child like around 10 or 11 I was on a kids TV show um, not as, a, as an actor but as an audience member so I got to meet like Chuck McCann and Officer Joe Bolton and, and uh, what some, show was that? Well, Chuck McCann had two shows he had uh, the Laurel and Hardy uh, uh, half hour with Paul Ashley Puppets and then he had uh, the Chuck McCann show, and then on Sundays he had the Let's Have Fun show. It was all here in New York. I don't know whether it was syndicated beyond New York, but that was cool. You, you got to meet people who had programming for kids, and you right. got to talk to them, and you, 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 know, you could tell them things. Yeah, knowing, I, I should say, meeting Chuck the way I did, and, and not just meeting him that one time, 
But having the opportunity to go back, because they told me I could come back whenever. They should never have said that to me. You know, (laughs) I had a bus pass. I knew where to get off the bus and be there. So I got to go back a few times and see them in different situations. So seeing these people who would talk to you and, and tell you how they did things, or even on the show, teach you how to do tricks or make things, that all sort of filtered through me. You get into the comic book world, and I was able to meet some of the illustrators and the creators of it. And some of them were jerks, because, you, know, <laughs> you know, they're human beings. But a lot of them were really remarkable. Frank Frazetta was always a gentleman around. Dick Giordano, always a gentleman around. You know, some of the guys who worked on Mad Magazine, I got to meet them when I was like 15 or 16. You know, and they, they were happy that you were interested in what they did and, and, and what they were doing. And so that nurturing or that openness, that willingness to talk to me they who are an artist who have created something that I enjoy, to actually share their thoughts with me, that stayed with me as well. And so to me, to have that lost to generations thereafter, where kids are coming, I'm sorry, kids come into the world the same way we did, absolutely the same way. They come in buck naked, <laughs> you know, and hopefully they're in a good home, they, they, they gurgle, they coo, they learn to do physical things, and they're curious, period. Now, what you feed into them and, and the environment they're in, that begins to affect who they become. But most assuredly, if, if a child of this it was born today never ever saw uh, a handheld device, but you give them crayons and paper and a cardboard box they can sit in and imagine they're in a cave or a spaceship, and that child will function that way. And so I, I, my, my whole thing is with Kids Comic Con was to make all of this accessible, to, to have kids be inspired by good storytelling and good writing and drawing, you know, to, to want to, you know, maybe do their own thing. Not necessarily to become comic artists, but to know that what you imagine, if you can learn a process for achieving it, you can go after that and quite, con- you know, quite conceivably succeed at getting that thing, achieving that thing, you know, building that thing. So to me, it's, it's the, the kids' Comic-Con is an open invitation to play, to discover, to explore, to imagine, and know that those wild, wonderful thoughts that go through your head, they have a foundation in reality. There are ways that they can be used to help power you forward. Uh, and, I, and again, some of the people that I knew, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, some of the people at Marvel and some of the people at DC, uh, they were like that. When You've probably heard of the Marvel bullpen. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, so a lot of people, I don't know what you ima- they imagined when they saw it, but I got to go to Marvel, you know, during those, those te- later teen years of mine. And, and there was a, an artist room. There was a large room where, you know, these artists, are Johnny Ramita Sr., Marie Severin, and some of the others sat in that room together drawing different books. You know, they're working on Iron Man, they're working on Spider-Man, they're working on some of these other things. They're in there working. And they're talking to each other, and they're sharing, you know, life stories. They're sharing art techniques, and they're growing from the experience of being side by side. So then, when somebody like me walks in there, and I'm sort of amazed by what you know, I'm not only getting some of their conversation, but they're telling me things that really were useful. And I think that that's a that's a trait that we should pass on. It's it's the it's the uh, the master builder and the apprentice sort of scenario. We shouldn't lose sight of that simply because we're becoming more and more technologically based. I agree with you. Um, 
and one of the ways is to grant access to the material you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we have we have Shazam coming out and that's the perfect entry point for young readers you know a young kid says a word and becomes a superhero mm -hmm. well they have tons of old material they could reprint for free for a dollar for you know so it's very affordable mm -hmm. and do a marketing campaign ma dad you have something you can share with your kids yeah and even it would be good marketing for them in preparation you know well, but also to get them hooked uh, get them in a good way not in a tobacco way <laughs> <laughs> but you know on that whole idea of reading and you know now it's your you know you swipe and the, the next uh, the next panel comes up or whatever as opposed to turning you know yeah but, well you know Archie, Archie there's that opportunity Archie used to do I mean they, they probably still do it to a certain extent but one of the things that used to happen at the the conventions that Archie attended and, and, and any of the public uh, appearances that I made uh, when I was doing a lot more Archie material, people would come by and invariably it would be older, like an aunt, a mother, father, uh, sometimes grandparents, would be, happily buy the Archie books for these children that were with them. And you always heard similar phrases. Oh, this is what I used to I used to love Betty and Veronica. I used to Archie this. Jughead is my favorite. Reggie's such a jerk. Blah, blah, blah. And you could see the connection because if the, the kids already knew some of the characters, then they could talk about that. It was intergenerational. And it was a way of sharing some of the older person's childhood experiences with this young person in front of them. And it made that connection. And it was funny to watch, and especially when, when the adults would you know, say, oh, yeah, I used to read Archie, and I would say things like, oh, what, you broke up or what? You know, how, how come you're not reading it now? Oh, well, I grew up. I said, well, so did he do it instead. And I could tell them about some of the older, you know, like uh, Life with Archie and stuff like that. So I think that, again, not forgetting where you came from, not forgetting how the, the, the mill works. I mean, regular publishing, the regular publishing world has you know, board books for very young children. It has books for the kids 8 to 12. They have, uh, you know, young adult, which is YA. So that's, you know, somewhere between 13 and 18, 13 to 17. They have books that are set for certain age groups, and they keep churning them out. So, you know, uh, Captain Underpants is, is not necessarily for 25-year-olds, but it's, it worked really well. Uh, Rainia Telemeyer is doing some great graphic novels, for the middle school kids. Stories about growing up, about being accepted and so forth. Some, some of them funny and, and life uh, affirming. So there is all of this rich material that's out there that A, you want to make sure that the people are getting credit for creating it. But also, like you said, reaching back and honoring some of these people who created the very, very solid foundation on which you stand would be a nice gesture, if nothing else reprint the stuff like you said or make it more available in a, just in a digital form yeah you know that would be great and and yes it gets into legality and it gets into contractual agreements and it gets into a number of other sticky areas but if it's humanly possible to help some of these creators who are still with us who are struggling with taking care of themselves because they're not making all kinds of crazy money anymore or, or making any money at all 
or because they're injured and they need help, then find a way to give back. Yeah, because the bottom line is when all these companies were tiny and billions of dollars were not something they could possibly envision, these people that we're talking about were telling the damn story and they weren't getting paid well for it and empires have been built on their creations. Yeah. So, hey, listen, if you're a fan out there and you like a character, remember who started it. If you're reading a comic book, if you're reading a novel, if you're reading some trade paperback, take a minute and look at the credits. Who did what? Give credit where it's due. Remember, you're enjoying that they told the damn story. <laughs> and on that note, Chris, always as ever, pretty cool talking to you. And everybody, again, Chris mentioned it earlier. We have a comment section. You know, let us know what you think. Uh, add names to to a list of people that you whose work you appreciate. You know, whether it's comics, graphic novels, or even uh, novels and storybooks. You know, I'd be interested in hearing about it. Who who are you reading? Who are you following? And who is helping stimulate your imagination? Uh, who is who is your favorite writer or artist or character when you were a kid that you remember fondly? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, All right, brother. Peace. You got it. Take care. Bye bye. Take care.